He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Join by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. What is called a born loser? A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. We don't have Rigby this time. It sounds like from his vacation in Vegas that he picked up a, a little something-something of the stomach bug variety. Don't get any ideas, listening audience, about other things you might pick up from Las Vegas. I thought what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Is that not true? Except for herpes. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I've heard. <laughs> We're going to do our best without the wriggles, but I think we'll, I think we'll survive. Uh, barely, though. Ba- very much barely. Case. Finally got into surgery number two over the summer, so full disclaimer on this episode tonight, if I say anything wacky or offensive, it's nothing but the Percocets talking for me so okay same if i get too crazy just we'll blame the percocets same here yep (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was the general show rule (laughs) damn yeah that's just a munson's basis right there just perkies while you record right that's what we do you know it's too bad somebody doesn't know a um pharmaceutical person who could get us sponsored by percocets that would be nice i don't know i I, I got i have no connections (laughs) on that one i got nothing for you there James. I'm currently looking for Percocets in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't want to be like the rest of you. I'm good, dude. I miss you guys. Uh, sorry I missed last time. I did enjoy uh, being shouted out as such a positive influence on the podcast. Yep, yep. Been dealing with bronchitis, which sucks, but apparently uh, the cure for bronchitis is like fucking nothing. Like you go to the doctor and they're like, just stop being a bitch about it. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. I guess I'll just <laughs> cough and vomit all over the place. Great. So you recovered. <laughs> Real proactive medicine. Aubrey. School years back. Boo. My heart is lost. (laughs) I am a Catholic school teacher now, so I think it's important for me to put on the record I am not taking Percocet while I'm doing this podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I keep that record clean, man. Yeah, everything's good. School year's been off to a good start. Uh, Also, I haven't done this in a while. A lot of good stuff on the website, postcardscene.com. My wife, Mm -hmm. her triumphant return to writing. She wrote the Barbie review. We did Oppenheimer. We're doing a Heels. Oh, yes. Recap every week. So if you're not watching Heels, you should. It's really good right now. Really good. Surprisingly so, some would say. But it is it's very good. Help me get over my sadness from going back to school. <laughs> I've been really good. Uh, other than a little sleep deprivation lately. I'm just in a really good mood. I wonder why. There's there's cool things happening <laughs> in my life, so it's it's been good lately. Oppenheimer and Barbie came out the same weekend. Is that what it is? Exactly. Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, I did finally see Oppenheimer, though. You guys are welcome. I did. I did eventually get around to it. Spoiler alert: they dropped the bombs. At least you didn't see any of those QAnon movies that are out now, so that's good. I did not. Uh, Aubrey <laughs> went and saw that movie, right? Oh no! I did. Yes, I saw that. Sound of Freedom. <laughs> How much freedom was in it? Yeah. What did it sound like? Starring a Nazi pretending to be a Christian. <laughs> what a great combo. I'm proud that somebody from the Munsons went and saw it. At least somebody has seen the Sound of Freedom. Go see the Summer's Biggest Hit. I'm sorry. Summer's Biggest Hit. Sorry. 
I'm sorry. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. Oh, well. Right, we'll talk about that later. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, teaser. If it involves Freddie Prince Jr., then we're on the same page because I, I just watched that puppy earlier. Oh, yeah. Speaking of great things in our lives, we're, we're excited to bring back Cam Sully from the Jacked Up Review Show podcast. Welcome back, sir. This is his fourth time here. He's just a film buff and former indie filmmaker who organizes his commentators to rank everything from cult films and shows to video games, music, and food. He's The podcast is pumping out tons of content recently, so check it out. <laughs> and he was previously with us for the Keith David, Dennis Haysbert, and Kristen Schaal episodes. Welcome back, Cam. How's life, my friend? Quite fine. Just got done helping audio drama creator Crystal Storm with one of her dark fantasy dramas on the Tales of the Forgotten podcast network, so you can check that out. Right hearing all your all's stories here, so that's uh, I'm glad you're ricocheting through all the personal drama and surviving bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> Did you um, listen to our uh, Kevin Spacey episode? Is that why you're dressed like K-Pax right now? Or... <laughs> no, this is... <laughs> this is Agent Smith, but whatever. That works. <laughs> oh my God, fucking Kevin Spacey. I knew you guys were going to pick that one. <laughs> Dude, that was my sister. Cam, glad to have you back, man. You always hey, come you with such a unique perspective on the performance we cover. We expect that you've probably seen 99.2% of what we're about to cover. So interested to hear as we get into it. <laughs> we're hoping he has seen that much. Yes, it's fine. Just a reminder, listening audience, we don't like Nazis. Very anti-Nazi podcast. Okay. We are anti-wearing pants while recording and pro-Percocet. It's all very, very important <laughs> distinctions to make. So... Rigby's not here. He would normally take us into the birthday world, but since he's probably shitting himself at this moment in time, I'm going to step in and do birthdays. So August 24th, today was a really good day for birthdays. I'm really uh, impressed. The last couple episodes has been pretty rough. I had to like choose between a bunch of really good ones. We're going to start with our boy, Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> Old Goots. He was most famous for movies like Short Circuit, Three Men and a Baby, the Police Academy films, and one of my <laughs> personal favorites, Big Green. Yeah. How old is Steve Gutenberg? Great appearance in uh, Party Down as well. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 66. Camp said 66. I'll go 64. <laughs> 67. It may be the Percocets talking here, but I'm going to come in at 70. <laughs> the deputy dog is turning 65 on August 24th. So I believe that was James, right? At 64? Uh, 64. There you go. Congratulations, James, on your first victory of the night. I appreciate it. All right. Next up, we have Marley Matlin. Some we've talked about a bunch on the podcast over the years. Children of a Lesser God, Coda, mm -hmm. and lots of other fantastic films. By far the funniest roast of Donald Trump at the roast of Donald Trump. Ah, that's true. Made me cry laughing. It was so good. <laughs> How old is Marley Matlin? Seems tough. I don't know. Wasn't she young when she won an award? Pretty young. But 50s? I don't know. <laughs> Give me 60. <laughs> 53. 59. 62. Marley Matten is turning 58, so I believe Aubrey took that one with the low guess of the bunch. Just made her directorial debut on a TV show. She did. Look at that. Well, there's, if there was anybody that would know that, Cam, it's you, and I'm proud of you. That's why we bring you out, <laughs> my friend. For real. In third and final, but certainly not least, we got our boy Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Obviously, most known for being a comedian, but has also played some really funny film roles over the years, like Half-Baked. Blue Streak, mm -hmm. Tully, one of my favorites. Go. Con Air. 
Con Air, right? He dies a miserable death in Con Air. Yep. Men in tights, though. Men in tights. That's true. Men in tights. And Chappelle <laughs> show. How old is Dave? 53. Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that's around the area that he's going to be. Yeah. That's really the number I wanted to say, so now I'm mad. <laughs> you could say 53. Remember that time we all guessed the same number? That. <laughs> yeah, that was me. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. 52. Not 40, but he sure is fucking 60. <laughs> it would be hilarious if Dave Chappelle and Marley Matlin shared the same birthday, so 58. <laughs> I'll go 55. Very unconfident <laughs> 55. You all are assholes because Dave Chappelle is turning 50, so you all blew that you're on that one. Everybody was over. Every Whoa. single person was over. Yeah. Well, I've seen some of the characters he's played, and they do not look young. So, <laughs> Tron. Tron, baby. Tron. <laughs> he's had a tough life. He doesn't look that old. Probably no. the drugs no. he's on. I don't know. He's been around <laughs> forever. <laughs> You've just seen him since he was like 20. <laughs> <laughs> I bought this baby straight cash. <laughs> I love that skit. So five actors we threw under the wheel for episode 88. Man, uh, 100 is creeping close. And it's almost here. That is wild. Those five actors were Mads Mickelson, Rebel Wilson, Barry Pepper, and Sally Hawkins. But it doesn't matter because the wheel chose Julia Stiles. And Cam decided to join us for Julia Stiles. So... Julia's got 70 credits on her resume. As we'll get into what we do, we go through kind of the the highs and the lows and the interesting things in between. We're not going to talk about all 70, but we'll hit quite a few of them. There's quite a few rom-coms along the way. Uh, Spoiler, sneak peek, right, as we dig into this. Um, But before we get into the minutiae, what we always do, we start with James and see if he can stump us with a little trivia, Fast and Furious style. <laughs> so you guys are part of the initiated here, but for those listening at home who might not have listened before, I'm going to read off three facts here, two of which are going to be true about Julia Stiles, one of which is not going to be true about Julia Stiles, but will be true about one of the many illustrious cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. They're now at 10 movies, so the cast is expanded quite large the gentlemen here are going to guess which one is not about julia styles fact number one she first got into acting by starring in a cindy lopper music video fact number two she was born and raised in new york city and has never driven a car due to using public transportation fact number three is a diehard mets fan and considers throwing the first pitch at a mets game one of the coolest moments of her career Oh wow! Seymour Cassell was a big baseball guy, so I'm gonna I'm gonna think she's also a baseball gal, and we're gonna stay on a heater here just to be punny with that. And I think the curveball, or the slider, or the screwball, or the sinker, or the forkball, or the splitter, or the spitball, <laughs> the circle change, any other off-speed pitches that I'm missing here, um, I think it is number two. I think that is the lie. I think I bet it's Mark Sinclair who's never driven a car before. <laughs> yeah, Mark Sinclair. Famous Fast and Furious. <laughs> Noted anti-driving protester. Going to also. I feel confident about this one. I think it's Cardi B. Oh. Did you finally get the rapper? I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> he finally gets his moment. She's been in a Fast movie, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, who hasn't at this point? <laughs> Number one is the lie, because that's obviously about... Vin Diesel, who at one time had a breakdancing video that was circulating, and that's how he ended up in a Cindy Lauper music video. His name's Mark, just so we're all on the same page. Okay, so 
I'm going to go with Case's hunch on number one, and number two is an actual fact about Julius, so number three, I'm going to say, is the lie. Love it. Okay, so we actually had everyone guess on everyone, which is rare, and I appreciate it. So I'll go with fact number one. She first got into acting by starring in a Cindy Lauper music video is true. She had already worked in Off-Broadway, but she was 12 years old at this point, and hadn't done any acting, but had done like theater work. She was able to get into Cindy Lauper's music video for the song Sally's Pigeons, which I have to be honest with you, I have never heard that song before. <laughs> if you watch it, she is there, a little 12 year old Julia Stiles. <laughs> you take enough Percocet, you'll hear it in the background. It's weird. <laughs> uh, you'll hear everything in the background. Or you might not hear anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn, bro. <laughs> Back number three is a diehard Mets fan considers throwing a first pitch at a Mets game one of the coolest moments of her career. That is true. She mentioned she was at the Mets game and it was a rain delay, so she was waiting for it to stop. And at the time, the team manager was former Yankee and Met Willie Randolph. He comes by and he's already intimidating as it is. And she asks for any advice. And all he says is, if you screw this up, they're going to boo you. And he walks away. And she's like, thanks. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Thanks for the heads up there, Willie. She's actually also the third person we've covered who's thrown out a first pitch at a Mets game and considers themselves a diehard fan. And I'm not a Mets fan, so this this hurts a little. But can you guys name the other two that we've covered? Christine Baranski. Was she a Mets fan? Who else is from New York? Can we <laughs> oh, be a Mets man. fan? Oh, what about uh, Chaz? Paul Materi? Maybe. He is from the area, but he is not thrown out a first pitch. He's not a sports guy. <laughs> He's more of a Yankees guy, you know? I mean, he is from the Bronx. Oh, you're going to have to tell us. It'd be one and only Chris Rock and Matthew Broderick. Uh, oh, okay. That's fun company. Another guy who's known for car accidents. Oh. Yeah, that is true. Oh, good grief. <laughs> Forget Matthew. Never ask what he did that one time in Ireland. <laughs> Back number two was born and raised in New York and has never driven a car due, due to using public transportation. While Julia Stiles was born and raised in New York and takes pride in the fact that she's never owned a car, yep. she has driven them before. Ah. This fact was not true about Julia Stiles, but was true about, I got to give credit where credit is due, Aubrey, you nailed it, Cardi B, did it. who famously plays How? Lisa in Fast ah. and Furious 9. She owns cars. She's worth like 80 million dollars and she's like yeah i own a bunch of cars but i can't drive them i just pose next to them for pictures and i was like i respect the honesty <laughs> i beat the game it's he's been waiting for waiting for a rapper moment cardi b's never driven one before and uh julia styles never owned one before still hasn't i'm gonna give her a bonus point for using public transit that's what i'm gonna do that feels important she gets a bonus point because i got that right hey you think she's taking public transit come on <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe back in college at this point, I'm sure she could afford an Uber here or there. She might need all the points she can get, so. <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah. All right, Case, snapshot in box office history. What do we got? Well, her box office is, it's pretty bland. It's pretty one note. Nothing really stands out as surprising, except when I was looking at her fan and critic ranking, what is shocking to me, the types of movies she's in, and she's only got a 52.4 average fan ranking, which ranks her 84th out of 88. I was very surprised by that. Overall, there's there's nothing really that stands out on her box office. You know, she's been in some money, some movies that have made a lot of money. She's been in some movies that have lost a lot of money. She's she's it's all pretty even. So I'm just gonna lay out the numbers. So total box office, she's 45th. Star meter ranking, she's 39th. Well, she's currently ranking 909 on Star Meter. 
She's 68th in critic ranking, 84th in fan ranking, 59th and 39th in different box office metrics. Averaging all that out, she is 74th, which I thought was very accurate. I figured this much. She's only had one franchise, and the rest has been either yeah, an ensemble player, kids movie, mm-hmm. or chick flicks, or just other Sundance movies. It's also hard to get a gauge on someone who, at least in my perspective, you mo- most famously know them for when they were like a late teen, early 20s actor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, this many years later. Her popularity rating, like, that doesn't surprise me. I thought it would be somewhere around there because, like, she's carried by, like, people our age. Like, I feel like right. people our age know her very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Younger than us have no idea. <laughs> it's just odd. Young people have no idea of anything these days. They wear band shirts and have no clue what bands they're wearing on the chest. So <laughs> how is it any yeah. different? We've been playing that game in schools for a long time. I know. Her name recognition is through the roof. And I will say that during the period of December 3rd, 2000 through it's March 25th of 2001, she actually peaked at number one on the IMDb star meter rating. Oh, wow. That does not surprise me. Which I would have to assume lines up with Save the Last Dance and her appearance on Saturday Night Live. So we'll talk about both of those later. That doesn't surprise me at all. I agree. That was her rocket ship to stardom. Look at us teasing it up. We're going to get into it. It's great. Let's have some fun. First major film role we're going to talk about is 1998. So everything before 1988. These are the big pieces where I, I mentioned some things in the show notes. And then James adds some color commentary and fills in the gaps of anything that I missed. Because he builds the trivia. So he always finds all the fun facts. Um, she was born in 81 in New York City, as James talked about. She began acting at the age of 11 in New York's La Mama Experimental Theater Club. So that's that theater background that James talked about before she went to the Cindy Lauper music video side. But her first like TV slash film work really was Ghost Rider in 93 and 94. She was in six episodes of that as a character named Erica. So when she was 12, she did that TV show. And then between the ages of 12 and 17 she did a variety of roles in new york city for the ridge theater so her early days were all on the stage for the most part minus showing up in cindy lopper music videos one cool thing i learned is at this young age you know like little kids you put them in classes and you know she's doing theater and so she wanted to learn how to dance and she's in a dance class and one of her friends she made in dance class was a young actress by the name of claire danes and obviously, you don't know you and your friend are going to be famous at that point. But looking back, they're like, oh, shit, we were in that dance class together. What are the chances? <laughs> As we get into like her career and life and dating relationships, she has some uh, some other Munson's crossovers of people she went to school with or dated along the way. It's <laughs> kind of fascinating. No. But so she did an episode of Chicago Hope in 97, and then she had three smaller film roles between 96 and 98, but really didn't get any widespread notoriety, and I'm going to use widespread loosely here, until 1998's Wicked, not about the Broadway musical featuring Ariana Grande movie film that's coming out soon, but a film that premiered at, I believe premiered at, at least showed at Sundance in 1998, she played Ellie. This is Rigby's review, but since he couldn't be here, we're just going to piece some things together. I'm going to read to you the synopsis of Wicked from IMDb. Okay, we're going to start there, and then we'll go to what I think is interesting from it. 
Ellie is an average girl with typical teen problems. She's got a bratty little sister, a nagging mom, and a father that denies her the attention she desperately craves. But Ellie's not the kind of girl that gets mad. She gets evil. Ooh. Are you intrigued? <laughs> I am. I'm not gonna lie. I don't I don't hate that little tagline. It's not bad. It's not it's I don't hate it. It's not bad. I mean in the cover is it's it's just her face. So this is like a Julia Styles vehicle at her right at 17 years old. She essentially plays like a 14-year-old girl who is basically being neglected by her parents. I kind of got lost in the sauce with some of the plot details of this. What but what I can tell you is that things go chaotically wrong. Lots of people die. There's a whole revenge plot where she is at the center of it. Mom's out of the picture. Does mom die? I feel like mom died at one point, Cam. I believe so, but the plot is convoluted. But she's like coming on to her father when she's 14 wearing makeup and dresses, wearing like her mom's stuff. It's weird, man. It's a, it's a lot to handle. And then by the end of the movie, she manipulates her dad to get dad's new girlfriend to basically leave him the day after they get married, which is a boss ass bitch move. I'm not going to lie. And then the whole plot falls apart with a double murder and things going awry. What stood out to me from this watching it is, yo, Julia Stiles was a raw actor. Like she struggled with emotions, conveying emotions appropriately, not necessarily facial expression, but just like the tone and tenor of her voice during scenes that are supposed to be very like nervous or stressful. She was overacting or underacting quite a bit. She was raw at 17, man. You see it on screen in the Sundance film. It's an imperfect movie. I was expecting an unpleasant psychodrama. My main issue was the movie is very over-edited, so uh, all the performances, some one minute, like you say, they're overacting, the next minute they're where they need to be, but they're still just a little too much. And then my main issue was it wasn't really a freaky psychodrama. It kept my attention and the acting overall made me get to the end of the tunnel, but metering in between mediocre to watchable psycho filler. I'm not lying to you. The music in the film, in case you're going to pay particular attention to this, was very similar to The Room in ways. Uh, it wasn't that bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> the acting was legitimately maybe two steps above The Room. Like, it, it teetered at times on corny to the point where it was bad. <laughs> oh, now I want to watch it. You didn't tell me that part. <laughs> Well, that's what I was saving for you. <laughs> now, what I will say, this this movie had one win and one nomination for awards. It was from the Karlovy Very International Film Festival. Does anybody know where that is? I have no clue. <laughs> I have no clue. Oh. Got nothing. Okay. Uh, Julia Stiles won the uh, award for Best Actress from the Karlovy Very International Film Festival. I mean, that's, that's how you see. If we do enough research, we might find out that award is... Issued by Julia Stiles, LLC. It's in the, this is in the Czech Republic, <laughs> according to the Google. That's how you would do that. They're known for their movie taste, so that's, that's important. And I think the director was nominated for the Crystal Globe at the film festival, too. So the Czechs really liked Wicked. I do have a large amount of bohemian in my lineage, so I would probably enjoy this movie more than I thought I would. I think if you're drinking a little bit, and it's probably a movie you can have a lot of good time with pretty fun but it is it teeters on insufferable to watch it or it flirts with disaster it wasn't lifetime bad <laughs> and then a year later she goes to what is probably her most famous performance 
<laughs> and that's her role as Kat in 10 Things I Hate About You, a movie with Allison Janney, who plays the horny teacher who's writing sex novels. That was weird. I forgot about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> and a film that earned her an MTV Breakthrough Female Performance Award. She's just racking the awards up early. <laughs> I can't get this. That's right. There are two scenes in this movie that I think didn't age well, and both of them involve teachers and sexually inappropriate scenes like Allison Janney writing a graphic sexual novel mm-hmm. is inappropriate. And then Julia Stiles flashes a teacher to get her boyfriend out of detention. And I'm like, both of those did not age well. Mm-hmm. The rest of the movie I thought aged great. I enjoy, I forget how much I enjoyed that movie, but those are the two scenes that stuck out to me. Cause I haven't seen this movie in a long time. So rewatching it was great. Cause I'd forgotten about a lot of that stuff. I was just like, whoa, I when she did the thing in detention, I was like, yo, that, that was that was weird. However, I, I think Heath Ledger is amazing in that movie. And that's that ended up just being the takeaway as I'm like, he's so good. He powers that thing for me. Mm-hmm. I think she's fine. I would say this is a good example to the overall point I'll make on her later. So I guess I'll try to remember to make that later. But he powers this whole thing. He makes all that work. Everybody else I thought was fine. I think everybody's casted well in this film. Like, mm-hmm. I think JGL is like the nerdy guy who wants to fall in love is good. David Crumholz is the nerdy friend. Yep. Oh, he was great, too. That's I forgot about. That. He was great, too. Crumholz, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Daryl Mitchell as Mr. Morgan is always my favorite part of this movie. The sassy black teacher who just, like, talks, basically talks shit to all the kids. Like, and Andrew Keegan as Joey is a, he's perfectly cast as just that turd of a model guy. Like, he plays that really well, too. <laughs> The way I described him to my wife was like, I don't know the dude's name. He was always the hot guy in every high school movie. And she's like, yep. I don't understand. And then I showed a picture. She's like, oh, I know who that guy is. I was like, yeah, he's the hot dude in all the high schools. <laughs> do. Not the first time she worked with uh, Andrew Keegan either. There's another one coming up. One of yeah. Yeah. Aubrey's favorites, too. Plays a very similar role. I thought I saw him twice, though. You did. Well, they all ran together, so maybe. Maybe a third time. I don't know. Maybe you caught a third one. I didn't see it. I think it was a third time. But it's a good film, man. It's, it's her first of three Shakespeare films mm-hmm. which is an in- interesting trend maybe that's why young people don't know about her because she's plays in a bunch of movies they don't really want to watch i don't know you would think that would be a movie they would that younger people would revisit though i hope i mean it's in the same class to me as like clueless and that's a movie that's mm-hmm. been revitalized mm-hmm. i would imagine that w- this would be one that kind of circle back on there and you're right it is it is well casted i think her and heath also had good chemistry they did I'm thankful for this film because I watched a lot of movies that did not inspire me to enjoy cinema. And this was one of the few I got to watch prepping for this. I was like, oh, that's a good movie. I agree. It was my first watch, too, which was just here and then down. I did that wrong. I did it wrong. All right. Lowest critic score is so we we went from low to real high for her. And I think we're going back pretty low to uh, down to you. I dare. She played Imogen and Aubrey has this one. Lowest critic score. There's not much of a plot here. I'm not going to mention a lot of the things I normally mention. Ray Prince Jr. is in this movie. <laughs> he meets Julia Stiles at a bar because his friend, who is making porn at the time, points at her and says, you're going to go home with her. That's how they meet and starts this toward love affair of the two. They fall madly in love. They break up for, and I think this is the official reason, reasons and they're both devastated 
Freddie Prince Jr. drinks a bottle of shampoo, ends up in the hospital, sees her again at a party, and they get back together. I've said this before on here. I think I mean it more now than I've ever meant it. This is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> it's bad. It's awful. It's worth its 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's truly terrible. It's awful. I got it mixed up with Down, uh, Head Over Heels, Boys and Girls, and She's All That. I can't tell any of those four mo- movies apart. They're all <laughs> unwatchable in my mind. <laughs> this is, it's bad in all the worst ways. Like, There's nothing redeeming about it. Like, They're all... What makes me sad is because I don't want to sit here and rail against this movie. I'm not. I no. really don't want to do that. <laughs> they all were really trying. Mm-hmm. It was an earnest effort. They were really trying to make the best version of whatever movie that they were trying to do. <laughs> and it just fails literally in every aspect possible. Yeah. The writing here is bad. Is bad. It's a bad story. Freddie Prince Jr. Like, he's no Leo, but man, this was like the worst I may have ever seen him. And Julia Stiles was, was quite bad as well. It's frustrating. Every time I see Freddie Prince Jr., I think the same thing. It always makes me sad because I would rather be watching the classic that he made the following year, just Summer Catch. Oh, no. I'd rather watch that classic movie. Oh. <laughs> this movie was an abomination. It was terrible. And I'm scarred for the next time I get lowest critic score. also paid $4 for this. But why? It's, it was on Plex or Pluto. It was on one of those for free. I didn't pay for this. I wouldn't pay for that. I didn't see it. I paid $4. Oh, dear. Ashton Kutcher showed up late in the movie, and you're like, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? I feel bad for Winkler and Rosario Dawson. That's who I feel bad for, Rosario Dawson. Thelma Blair was awful. It just wasn't good, man. I didn't have an issue with Selma, but the pacing was what really killed me for it. And so this is what I will say is room level where it doesn't know what it wants to be, and you're just mm-hmm. throwing shit at the screen, hoping it will just stop. Unlike a lot of other bad movies I see where I just don't understand how it happened, I get this one. Yeah, yeah. I get it. 2000, you have those two at the front. I get it. <laughs> like, I mean, the budget was apparently $11 million. That part I don't get. <laughs> how much did they pay Winkler to do this? Maybe it was for the Jimmy Kimmy cameo. cameo. That's what I blame. That's the man show. Yeah, yeah, Corolla and Jimmy Kimmel in there. Yeah. What a way for her to turn the Willennium, you know? Straight straight to down to you. Unbelievable. Willennium was a better listening experience than this was visual experience. You damn straight it was, and that's not an ironic tone come from you in the slightest, baby. <laughs> what a banger. We've got three years, four years until our next review. So between 2000 and 2003, she's, she's in a lot of other stuff coming off the, the 10 Things I Hate About You fame and, and heater. So first, you got Stayed in Maine, played Carla alongside Philip Seymour Hoffman in 2000. This is lovely. I love in the final scene. It's a total Me Too, pre-Me Too moment. She's like, that man, that fucker raped me. <laughs> is she, who's she talking about? William H. Macy in that moment? I, I believe so. Yeah, near the end. <laughs> yeah. It's got good reviews. It's like 75 Metascore, that film. So I just don't think it's streaming free anywhere right now. One of the two Mammoth collaborations. <laughs> hey, you got to get your PSH crossover in there somewhere. So you nailed it. <laughs> Another Shakespeare film, this time Hamlet in 2000, played Ophelia. Oof. This movie's rough. I don't remember anyone else in it. I remember Lieb Schreiber having the most just constipated look, like he just wants to get out of this fucking movie to save his life. But... Uh, as much of an Ethan Hawke fan as I am, he is completely miscast in this one. He just, I don't know what he's doing. And this director doesn't seem to know what 
visual style. It seems like he's aping all the other Shakespearean movies we've talked about earlier, and it's just an incomprehensible mess. <laughs> what a cast, though. I mean, I'm looking at the list. It's a great cast, yes. <laughs> Kyle MacLachlan, Sam Shepard, Liev Schreiber, Bill Murray, Julia Stiles, Steve Zahn, yes. Jeffrey Wright, Casey Affleck, Tim Blake Nelson. I mean, top to bottom, star power. Most of them are just like walk-on roles, though. That's the main kick in the balls there. Yeah, that's number two. <laughs> a little bit more Shakespeare number one's coming here than the next year too so oh man 2001's Save the Last Dance Sarah James I've been looking forward to you talking about her dancing skills since we announced that we were going to talk about Julia Stiles so the floor is yours <laughs> so I will say that I think it's clear that she has had professional training and I think she can hold her own what I will say is I don't think that last scene is choreographed very well and it's supposed to be this like big culmination of a moment. And I just feel like it was like at the time I felt like it was a big culmination. And then upon rewatching, I was like, I don't know. It's like, it's not that good, but I do feel like that movie kind of holds up a little bit. It's talking about topics that at the time were like very taboo. And I think like they actually still hold up today. <laughs> and so I don't know. It wasn't as bad for like a teen movie as I thought it was going to be. Yeah theater crowd pretty much ruined it for me on that one is like okay you guys really like this the rest of us this is an okay footloose wannabe movie <laughs> oh i hate being on this side of this uh-oh <laughs> uh-oh I hate let it out this side of this. let it out i'm not gonna speak to the dancing because i don't know much about that i think what what fails that last sequence is the song choice and the music <laughs> i think that's the worst part because like the choreography could kind of be whatever, but if the music hits, it would work. <laughs> the dancing, I, my wife is—that's what she used to do. She says the dancing is pretty bad, so I go with her on this one. <laughs> 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 I don't. I'm gonna be honest. I don't. I don't hate this movie. It's not. It's not an enjoyable watch. Yeah. It's kind of harmless. If I wanted to be a lot more cynical, yeah, I could kind of go at this movie because there's a lot of issues with the idea of like. In her assimilating to this culture, they're essentially teaching her how to be black. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of what she's doing. Yeah, like the the fucking bobbing head scene and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know with what her sitting in a chair has to do with her dancing. Yeah. If you really wanted to get into it, you could you could kind of pull apart and say this is kind of the cultural appropriation problem with hip hop around that time. Mm-hmm. Was it written by a white person? Just curious. I, I don't even know. I I don't know. It feels like it. It All feels right, so like there it. There you go. It's bad enough. Writers were Dwayne Adler and Cheryl Edwards. Let's look them yeah, up. Right yeah, Dwayne is that. very white. Of all of her movies, there's two that I really know her for, and this is one of them. I take it back. Cheryl Edwards is an African-American woman. That's good. Good enough. <laughs> I wonder who won the wars in the writing room. <laughs> she also wrote frankie and alice with halle berry from 2010 now that's a good one but this is one of those where like if you're listening and you watch this movie when you were younger and you loved it and you're like "Ooh, i'm gonna go watch that again don't don't do it let it live in your memory it's better in your memory yeah just bob your head just do it <laughs> just lean into it not i disagree with that <laughs> <laughs> All right, 2001, the third Shakespearean adaptation. We have O, played Desi, alongside our boy. There ain't no movie. They ain't got no Mackay Pfeiffer. <laughs> and Mackay is going hard. I was actually shocked. His, ba his basketball skills were better than I thought they would be, to be completely honest. Yes. 
they were definitely playing on like a eight foot net, right? Yes. Also that. Oh yeah, when he was throwing down, they were slamming that ball down. Basketball was shot poorly, but he played better than I thought he would. I'd never seen it before. I I watched it because you, Aubrey, were like, I want to rewatch. Oh, so I was like, all right, I got to go watch this movie. And I was just glad they didn't do the whole like make it Shakespearean language. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Try to tell the story doing it. And Josh Hartnett's in his like early 2000s bag of being a manipulator. Yeah, kind of creepy. It's one of the better movies I watched for this podcast, to be honest. I agree. This was my first time watching it. And I knew it was based off of the Shakespeare play and I'd never seen it. And I was pleasantly surprised. I think it kind of loses it a little bit in the final act where, you know, you got to pay homage to the source material and everyone has to die like in all Shakespeare stories. And I think it gets a little intense there, but I found it fascinating, like the story and how they kind of played into it. I had never seen it before. And uh, I think I found the Shakespeare play more fascinating and how they kind of tied it in. I thought it was really well done. Production design was good. I dug Martin Sheen as the coach. I didn't mind the two leads, but the pacing and visual style and over editing didn't work for me, but it's still very watchable. I don't disagree with hardly any of that. The Martin Sheen part I disagree with. You didn't like him? So I think I like Martin Sheen just because I, I like him. I think what he did was he just printed out coach quotes and just shouted them. <laughs> He's just saying stuff. It was just him yelling at kids. That's all he did. Every scene he was in. He was just yelling coach cliches, and that was super weird. I know people that have bought a house <laughs> by doing that same thing, so there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. One of them's on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm working on it. Aubrey's is jealous. He can't coach basketball like that. You know what I mean? I don't think he's bad at it. He was quoting Shakespeare. I don't know. What what else do you want? <laughs> Thank you. Shakespeare. Thank you for laughing at my joke. Thank you. <laughs> After watching it, I like wanted to read the story. And it, it was just incredibly ahead of its time. I think it was, is one of the reasons why it holds up so well, where it's like, it's about race and jealousy and the motive of the main bad guy is just like, I don't know. Oh's got everything going for him. Fuck that guy. And I'm like, that's such a, like <laughs> a, pet, a petty motive that I was like that. I, yeah. I kind of dig it. It's just the dude who's jealous of another dude. Like it's, I like really clever. Really? And it's aware. There's a visual representation that happens when you have a guy like Makai Pfeiffer in the position he's in at that school. So just his dynamic amongst the people he's around movie has to acknowledge that yeah it does martin sheen had several like several good scenes where he's like we need to like figure out what's going on here we need to kind of like protect this kid we need to like make sure this kind of stuff doesn't happen the josh hartnett stuff i think is brilliant because it's (laughs) it's just also this commentary on like white fragility like this black guy can do it and he's great, but I'm great too. Yeah. So now he has to die. Dude, that's why I liked it. Yeah. And it's also this thing where like the movie is aware of what it's portraying. The characters all aren't. That's what's clever because that's how it would be. So like when you put a black kid in a part in an all white private school, the things that O is dealing with are the things that we would tell people to be worried about. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that none of the characters, I don't think Josh Hart is racist in this movie. I think that he is just jealous. He's envious. Yeah, he just wants what he has. He doesn't realize that what he's doing 
is far more manipulative than he thinks it is because of the situation that O is in. It does have good salsa commentary. I just, my issue is just, you know, it's going to end just basically like Romeo and Juliet, where it's bloodshed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's the one part where it kind of, the original story anyway is about like soldiers and they're like in battle and mm-hmm. this is like a famous soldier and he's like the general's daughter. It's like a political kind of, and with this guy, it's guys in high school and they're basketball players. And it's like, all right, so how do we introduce like guns into this scenario? Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, it's a high school kind of shooter scenario. Like, Oh, all right. Like, and like, I feel like that part kind of didn't work, but leading up to it, I, oh. I loved that Josh Hartnett was, it wasn't racially motivated. It was jealousy motivated. And then he realized he could like use race to kind of fuck with him. He's like, Oh, I'll make him think that his best friend who's not racist actually is racist. And I'm like, Oh, he's just like a real big piece of shit. That's, that's what's happened. I guess I just don't care because it gets that part right. And movies get that part wrong so often. True. Just to watch this movie for like an hour and a half, just nail this part over and over again. Even the relationship stuff with him and Julia Stiles, like she's not fully aware of the situation they're in. They're like incredibly smart. I was wondering if this was filmed before 10 Things I Hate About You. Be- it was. It was in the same time around. The guy whose name I call the hot high school guy, he looks so much younger in this one than he did in 10 Things I Hate About You. Andrew Freeman, I think is his name. Yeah, so I read that they filmed it, but then they had to postpone it because of Columbine. Oof. Oh, yeah, I could see that. That's that a decision. Yeah. They had to push it back like two years or something like that? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense then. Because he looks a lot younger. And he's also really small. I know he's the point guard, but they're like, oh, I need him. I need Mike out there running the point. I was like, I don't know if you need Mike out there. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's kind of yeah, tiny, man. They had, oh, that's all they needed. Yeah. I'm sensing a theme. We're going to talk about a lot of movies where we don't talk about Julia Stiles very much. <laughs> it's everybody else around her. Plays into my theory. He's fine. I'm leaving mine for the end, but it's positive. Okay. All right. Same year. She was Paula in The Business of Strangers. Yeah. Solid psychological thriller. It's got good reviews. It's got really good viewers online. She hosted SNL in 2001, so riding some of that fame from a lot of those films there. She was a sophomore in college when she hosted it. Wow. That's crazy. At Columbia, right? Yeah. Super cool. It's hard to like balance college and doing a full-time acting. That's wild. What a life. She says, she's like, I'm thankful that like I went to college because it kept me like grounded and you know like i wasn't in a bubble i was you know just among college students it's like well while that might be true you know not a lot of college kids are hosting saturday night live and she went to columbia she didn't go to some like suny school yeah. somewhere she was <laughs> <She's in the laughs> sorry to some shade at suny yeah. schools but you know if you went to a suny school you know you don't need me to tell you you're well aware <laughs> Columbia kept me grounded. Get out of here. <laughs> America's. You don't buy it. You don't buy it. Uh, I, mean, I, I buy it. I buy it. Do you remember that uh, her and Tracy Morgan during her monologue did a Save the Last Dance skit? I do remember <laughs> that. And yeah. since it involved Tracy Morgan, I, I remember it being hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. Funny. That would make sense. Came out the year before. So the work would work out perfectly for that. So I'm seeing she was also on the Pierce Brosnan Destiny's Child SNL episode, but she was playing Jenna Bush in a skit. Yeah, she was uncredited for that one, I believe. That one I did see, and I was like, oh, oh, oh. So that's the joke. Find a famous person playing an infamous person. Gosh, mm-hmm. 
that franchise that you guys mentioned earlier, she plays the first of of three times in the Born universe as four. in the Born identity. Four. You're right. Yeah. First of Five, four, I think correctly. If you count the Born Stuntacular at Universal Orlando, which I do. No, we don't. We don't. I do. There's a Born show at Universal? Yeah. I had no idea. It's not that bad. It's just F- FBI agents getting the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> yes. <It's> like <laughs> generic white guys running across the stage. Yeah. <laughs> it was at Orlando? Still is. Missed it. In latest news, Florida man touts latest attraction at Universal Studios. <laughs> not latest, but I was there just like a month ago. <laughs> There's a Fast and Furious ride at Universal Studios, too, and I've been to that one. <laughs> it's the worst ride in all of the parks. It's terrible, bro. It's awful. It's so bad. Julia Stiles is grossly underrated in the, the Bourne franchise. We call these movies Jason Porn because you watch them endlessly. Yes. <laughs> so she is a field operative. She continues that throughout the series. And she is actually, besides Matt Damon, she's the only person in all four movies. Yep. Not including the stuntacular. Sorry, Aubrey. <laughs> Five movies. She's a part of the stuntacular. She plays a really important role in the character that we get out of Jason Bourne. She does. I'll, I'll get into it later in mine. But the thing I liked about her in the early ones is... When she popped on the screen, remember, this is at her biggest time, right? Like, this is when she's a big... She was so famous, I kept anticipating that she was somehow going to screw him over and be be his demise. <laughs> that was a nice little element to, to the character development in that first one. Yeah, people can surprise you. <laughs> Born Identity is awesome. Great movie. Yep. The next film is one of those films that Vince Vaughn's character in Dodgeball had overdue from his local video store, and that is Mona Lisa Smile. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my. In the opening scene of Dodgeball. And that's with John Slattery, who, if you remember, plays Julia Roberts, like, dickhead of a husband in that film. <laughs> mm-hmm. She plays one of the students, uh, alongside Kirsten Dunst and some others, who are being converted by julia roberts <laughs> uh extreme teaching ways of teaching them how to have efficacy and ideas and goals and ridiculous yeah identity and fuck religion sounds like a science fiction film good thing we're not doing that anymore <laughs> <laughs> this is like the female dead poet society basically is what this was. okay dare you put that in the same sentence as that <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I don't really like that post society like that, so it's okay. Robin Williams is rolling in his grave. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, I watched this movie for this one. I didn't get it the last time. <laughs> Say forty percent of this movie is good, and sixty percent of it's bad. <laughs> So it is like Dead Poet Society for you. <laughs> pretty, pretty directly accurate. That's, I mean, if I've got to put a gun to my head. Seize the day, girls. It's not making me like Dead Poet Society anymore. I think this movie's fine. I don't, I don't dislike it a whole lot. I feel like Julia Stiles is the same, like, kind of just whatever mm-hmm. that I'd say she is in most of the performances. Yeah. I think Jennifer Goodwin is really good in this. I liked her in this. That she kind of stood out for me past, like, obviously, Julia Roberts is amazing. Um, everything with Dominic West's character could have went away. <laughs> This movie would have been a lot better. What the better. fuck did I do? Man, she's busy in the early 2000s. I mean, this woman is doing work. I mean, is she? 
I mean, that's a lot of stuff. I didn't say she was doing well in them. I'm just saying she's <laughs> in a lot of projects. She's not Danny Trejo, but by golly, compared to the average months of performers, she's busy between 2000 and 2003. Get off my nuts here. But a guy thing, which was my first watch of the podcast, she plays Becky, uh, a temptress in the film, you could say. It's like Max Cringe. The film itself is just Max Cringe, and her character is the most Max of Max Cringe. And that was my takeaway from the guy thing. I agree with that. This movie's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible and it's weird. And it's one of those where like in the early 2000s, you could kind of just do whatever you want. Uh-huh. Everything was trying to be like American Pie and you're like, and well, she is reunited with Selma Blair. So there you go. Uh, yep. Rude comedies are not their thing. <laughs> Treat Selma Blair terribly in this movie. So poorly in this movie. So, so poorly. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't seen it, Jason Lee wakes up one morning and Julia Stiles is in bed with him and he's engaged to be married to Selma Blair. And then he's trying to hide it and turns out they're related ish to family. And it's just, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> him trying to balance the lie. Yeah. Everyone in my high school wanted to see this, which was a sign that they had no taste in comedy. So <laughs> It is considered like her, one of her top four IMDb credits. So it's one, I think people tied or, but the ratings are ungodly low for this movie as well. So it's <laughs> 25%. And then she goes to this, the stage side in 2004. She get, has her London stage debut in Oleana alongside Aaron Eckhart, which is not the transition anybody would expect to come from a conversation about an early 2000s comedy to mention Aaron Eckhart, but here we are. Yep. Love that, man. All right. The review people really came to see, I would say, homegirl that I'm talking to when I said I was doing Julia Stiles. She said, so you're going to watch The Prince and Me? <laughs> I said, I guess I am. And she says, that's the only movie I can think of that she's in. So, James, uh, tell us about this largest audience gap. Okay. How old is she, Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, The Prince and Me, I won't say it's the greatest movie. Ever. I'm just fucking with you. No, uh, so Prince and Me, it's got a 28% critic score, 59% audience score. Julia Stiles is focused pre-med student named Paige, goes to the University of Wisconsin. And she becomes intrigued by Eddie, uh, who's played by Luke Mabley, I believe his last name is, who's clearly wealthy and clearly not American. Despite Eddie's initially aggressive and disgusting behavior towards her, Paige kind of falls for him, only to discover that Eddie's parents are the king and queen of Denmark, and he's the heir to the throne. As Eddie does like the classic fish out of water and adjusts to American life, Paige gets used to the idea of her boyfriend being the future king. The two got to decide if the romance is something that can kind of make it through that. So it's predictable, right? You know, the, yeah. this great girl with really high standards you mm -hmm. know, gives him up for a kind of dickhead guy who turns out to be just immature, but a charming prince. But her love kind of changes him. You, you've seen this movie before, right? Yeah. It's got a made for TV feel, mm -hmm. but it's it's fine. It's a kid's movie. We're just too old to have any fun with it. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's fine. It, it's There's a couple good lines in there. One of them being, it gets glossed over, but the initial reason he decides to go to the University of Wisconsin is that he sees a Girls Gone Wild infomercial, and he <laughs> sees that they're at the University of Wisconsin, and he's like, I just want to go see like American chicks flashing their tits all over the place. Like That's what life is like, right? 
and convinces his parents to send him to the University of Wisconsin. And he's like, no, they've got a great like medical school. That's why I want to go there. And the whole time in like the opening 10 minutes, he's like pretty much just waiting for girls to flash him. And when he meets Julia Stiles, they like kind of flirt for like five minutes. And he's like, all right, so let me see your tits. And she's like, what? No. And like he gets bounced from the bar they're at. <laughs> I thought that was a hysterical reason for him to be at this random Big Ten school. It's paint by numbers. I, I don't think it's a 28%. I think the the audience is probably closer to the correct score here where it's like, I'll never watch it again, but I'm not upset that I watched it. You know, it was like, it was fine. I think it goes about a half hour longer than it needs to go when she finally figures out that he's the prince and that he needs to go back to Denmark and then she goes over there. I feel like that part is unnecessary and kind of drags a little bit. I think it's a pretty damn good review. I don't know if I'd say much different. What was it? He goes to the tractor race and he's like souping up the, what yeah. is it, the lawnmower. He's like, I got this yeah. thing going like 50 miles an hour. It's like, that's way too fast for a lawnmower. <laughs> like, that thing's gonna, that, these guys are going to get seriously hurt out there. <laughs> We're just two regular college students, me and this 50-year-old guy who's living with me. No one would ever suspect. That part was funny because she calls him out on it. She's like, oh yeah, what is he, a 30-year-old junior? Like, how old is this guy? <laughs> he's making you deviled eggs in the morning. This is crazy. <laughs> James, to add some credibility to your uh, review, located in Madison, Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin has a tremendous medical program, so well done on that. <laughs> the bouncers there have a quick trigger, and they'll throw people out, and I can, I can attest to that through experience. I have <laughs> been thrown out of a bar or two while spending some time in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> Actually, my favorite line in the movie, James, is when they, they first meet the roommate, and he basically says, Xbox is off limits, and tells him not to touch a shit. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's so good. It's like, he's like, and my name's on everything, so I'll know. Kyle, do you, did you recognize who the roommate was? Uh, I don't know his name, but I, I recognized him. What's his name? How should I know him? I don't know his actual name, but he's Buzz from Home Alone. I knew it. That's who I thought he was. <laughs> yeah, it's Buzz. Yeah, Devin Rattray. Yeah, Devin the perfect Rattray. Midwestern uh, douche. I like it. <laughs> what a moment in time for mid two thousands. Don't touch my Xbox. It's mine. <laughs> At a college campus, I was like, yeah, it's pretty spot on. <laughs> he comes back to college and his butler's still there, and the butler's like addicted to video games. I was like, yeah, that's the American way, baby. That's right, baby. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really talk about Julia Stiles here on her side here. I think she was fine up until the, like, we need to sell this love story part. And then I thought she was good as the, like, all-time girl. I'm not going to take any shit from you. Yeah, like, I don't give a fuck that you're a prince. Like, back off kind of thing. And then I think it got, the movie itself got a little cheesy when it was like, we don't care that the paparazzi are following us around. I'm in love with you. And I was like, all right, that, that was the part that I kind of felt like it fell off for her. The second Bourne film, 2004, Bourne Supremacy. Yep. And then she, she graduated from Columbia with her English literature degree in 2005. And she dated JGL, allegedly, while they were at Columbia together. Yeah, look at her go. It took her five years to graduate from Columbia because of filming the Bourne Supremacy. <laughs> I mean, you got to make the bag. Yeah, good reason to miss some classes. Columbia not giving her a pass on that is crazy. <laughs> yeah, she's like the biggest star in the world, and she's in the Bourne movies, and you're like, no, turn your paper in. 
like, yeah, be like sorry. Yeah, min- papers due at midnight. <laughs> no sorry, exceptions. Aubrey. They have academic standards. Okay, I don't know you're not used to that, but <laughs> she'd have went to UF. She'd have graduated in two years. <laughs> 2006. She's in the Omen. Plays Catherine. So going to the the horror side for the first time, I think, in her career. Yep. Screen queen. It's Liv Schreiber and David Thewlis are the only other two names I recognize that it would be mainstream. That's a set of balls to try to remake The Omen. Yeah. It's acceptable. It wasn't Psycho. There you go. And then she made her directing debut in 2007 in a short featuring Zoe Deschanel called Raving. Does anybody see it? I haven't seen this. It wasn't on YouTube. It wasn't on YouTube, so I couldn't watch it. Third born film, 2007, featuring Edgar Ramirez. And this is highest critic score. This is Cases Review, and it's the Born Ultimatum. Here we go. You know, there's not a whole lot to talk about because the plot of the Bourne films are pretty straightforward. What happens is basically what you think is going to happen. It's just a vehicle to, to play that out. And I think this is the third and should have been final installment in this series because I was not a fan of the Jason Bourne that came out, I think, in like 2015 or 2016. But she reprises her role in this. Matt Damon reprises his role in this. The only thing of significance for this particular episode is in this installment, she's the middle third of the movie with Jason Bourne. Yeah. And that's really the only time in that entire series outside of his girlfriend. And even then, I didn't I don't remember him with her as much. So, again, I thought her role in this was really underrated. And she was a major, major plot vehicle, especially in this in this one. And I think the part that I was reminded of when when I was rewatching for this episode is. I forgot how nervous I was that she was going to get killed. Yeah. At the end of that movie, it's nice to see her in the cafe, probably studying for her master's degree or whatever she was doing at this time. But good end for her character up until this point. And then, you know, we, we later find out in 2016 that she's going to be in that one, too. So I forgot how important her character was. Yep. I think Edgar's great, and his role as an assassin, too. I think he nailed that. Doesn't say a word. Well, until the end when he says, why didn't you take the shot? And that's about right. it. <laughs> that's right. One line. That's right. I literally just watched it. It's the last thing I watched before I came onto this episode myself. But 92-91 ratings across the top. <laughs> the only thing that I would say in this movie is the editing is faster. I might it be seems it. faster than the other ones, because I'm sure... You know, Jason Bourne or Matt Damon isn't quite at the fighting prowess he was earlier. So to keep him looking sharp, it's always easier to do quick edits. So maybe that's what's going on in this one. But I've always enjoyed that. And and they frame up weird shots where, like, you're literally, like, blocked by somebody's shoulder and people are walking in front of the camera. And I've always enjoyed that that type of a shot. Yeah. What's the urgency? I've always enjoyed the Bourne movies. I think it's such a it's a simple but cool concept and it plays well for an action movie mm-hmm. yep agree another good thing about this one is that if you if you watch them in succession the flashbacks get longer and more detailed yes so by the end of this movie our flashbacks that we're that we're privy to are really starting to tell the story whereas in the first installment those flashbacks are, just keep you guessing and you don't know where you're going so it's one of the fun things about this franchise born ultimatum <laughs> go. go watch it if you're an american listener it's on the max currently so if you want to go watch it there have a great time and go see the born spectacular <laughs> <laughs> we got eight years until our final review and so the first film here i'm going to note is cry of the owl played jenny in 2009 this is an awful movie 
<laughs> I only put this in there because I discovered that during the movie, when a critical plot point was going to happen, they edited in sounds of an owl. There's three times in the movie where you, you hear an owl in the background right before something bad happens. And I'll go spoiler alert. It One of them is a scene where Julia Stiles' character kills herself. Well, way to spoil it. <laughs> You see her, and she like she's like looking around, and then on the captions it says "owl sound." <laughs> it's a batshit crazy movie. There's good reviews. Speaking of bad movies from that time, don't watch. It's a disaster because it truly is a disaster. 2012. I don't care if it has David Cross. It, nothing gets saved by that Julia Stiles film. It's not worth your time. Mm. That was my DNF of the episode. Was it's a disaster, and I give it. I'll give it credit. Stay true to his name. To be honest, though, the plot to that was terrific. It was just. Terrible execution. It was watchable. I, I'll buy that. I Actually, I can't buy that. I didn't make it far enough to be able to tell you one way or the other. It got better near the end, but that's the problem. The satire was just, it needed more editing. It needed more sequencing and cutting out shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like idiocracy minus <laughs> fart jokes. Well, what I will say is the one big award she's been nominated for in her career came from her guest appearances on Dexter in 2010. She was in 10 episodes of that is Lumen. And that's the only major award nomination she's got in her career. I think it was one of the lesser seasons, so probably a highlight. She also said that uh, this is the one role she's had where she kind of took the character's work home with her. And she's like, yeah, you're on a show where like, you know, everyone there is incredibly friendly and like in between takes, you're all hanging out, but it's a show about a serial killer. When I would get into the zone of the character, she's like, I couldn't turn my brain off. And she's like, I would have nightmares about a show where like, what was the guy's name? Like David Morgan. She's like, I'm very good friends with him. He's an incredibly nice man. She's like, but I'm having nightmares about this man. <laughs> Speaking of men named David, she dated David Harbour in from 2011 to 2015 there. Yeah. Our Stranger Things star. And then what was the movie you watched with him as well, James, that you said? He... Between Us, yes. It's called Between yeah. Us, and it is so clearly based off of a play. Yeah, There are four characters, and you never really li- leave either couple's living rooms. And I will say that the David Harbour is very clearly developing this, like, man on the edge of breaking down kind of persona that he's now kind of perfected and has turned into a very profitable career uh, because he does it really well in this. And it's interesting. I didn't know that they were dating until I just heard that. And I had no idea. Either. Yeah. And in the, in the movie, they're like, they come across like they kind of maybe hooked up in college, but now they're, she's married to Tay Diggs and he's married to an Melissa George. There you go. Melissa George. And, uh, it is just, it's like one of those movies that prides itself on having very uncomfortable couple conversations. Well, my guess is they met on set because Between Us came out in 2012. I'm guessing they filmed it in 2011. So I haven't verified that, but I'm going to guess they met on set. Entirely possible. Timing would work. Ty Diggs stole the show on this one. I Should I watch this movie? Yes. You do love Tay. <laughs> it is my guy, but this also sounds like uncomfortable couple conversations. This sounds like... It did feel like a play, but at least it was more inspired than other movies based on a play. It was not static location and just lighting the actor. Like They went, they went pretty far. My wife made it through like 
20 minutes of the movie before she's like, I don't think I can handle this. It's too much anxiety. I was like, totally understand. <laughs> I was like, I totally get it. Okay, adding this to the watch list. Do you like movies like Swimming with Sharks or Neil Labute's work? That's why, what I got out of it. It was similar, kind of just uncomfortable, but at least it's in on the joke instead of... We just covered Swimming with Sharks. Evan Spacey. <laughs> hey, Rigby loves that movie. He's a big fan of Swimming with Sharks. That was one of his big ones that he wanted us to watch. Yeah, I'm in on this. I'm mad I missed it now. Okay. She played the, the title character in the show Blue from 2012 to 2014. was in 40 episodes of that show. It was a web series meant to see. Never saw it. Unfortunately, either did I. But I'll tell you what we did see. We did see Silver Lining's playbook. She plays Veronica alongside Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Tucker. Mm-hmm. I thought she was hysterical, even though the role was small. I love that she's the wife of the friend and she does not put up with Bradley Cooper's bullshit. Even though the friend's like, no, nah, he's going through something. He's like, I don't fucking care. I love it. it. I think it's. I think it is a great balance to that character. Totally. I agree. Solid role for her. Small. Wish it was bigger. Yep. It's a film we've praised the performance. Absolutely. Performances in multiple times with Jennifer Lawrence. She's on a different planet. And Chris Tucker's great in his role in that film. So it's just well casted top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about, it captures Philadelphia Eagle fandom pretty spot on as well. So that's that's another notch on its belt. Same year, 2012, Girl Most Likely. She played herself in a film that features Matt Dillon and Natasha Lyonne. Don't recommend. <laughs> Same. I don't recommend that movie either. When I did the research for this three weeks ago, four weeks ago, that film was on YouTube. It is no longer active on YouTube. So. <laughs> Not even anyone wants it for free. Oh, my God. Next year, she was in Closed Circuit alongside Rebecca Hall. She played Joanna. I don't remember in this at all, but it's despite Riz Ahmad and Eric really just dedicated to the political material. It's pretty much everything born identity. Isn't like, imagine if mm-hmm. they took the conversations and then just overloaded you with exposition and then just keep teasing frills and then not delivering on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That does not sound enjoyable. Yeah. That sounds terrible. <laughs> Eric Bana, Jim Broadbent, terrorism political thriller yeah if, if you like rebecca hall i think it's worth checking out but outside of that i don't think there's rebecca any reasons hall. to go check rebecca hall is incredible she's amazing some more tv you know so paloma she was the director of that for five episodes between 2013 and 2014 so more directing work that's cool love to see that yep she did three episodes of the mindy project as dr lieberstein from 2014 to 2015 Really meta role. Mindy is practically referencing all her movies, and she's oblivious to it. But she's also just doing some other stuff, kind of doing a valley girl, trying to be serious, kind of. Cam, I love it. I didn't watch all the way up to getting to that her episode, but I did watch a few episodes of the Mindy Project, and I was shocked by how much I enjoyed it. I was expecting to hate it, yeah. and I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> you you don't know what to expect. You're like, are you going to get an office drama? Are you going to get right. a trick leg? And it's like, it's just zany, but it's the right kind. Ike Barinholtz steals every scene he's in. I think he's so funny. Mm-hmm. 2015, she's in Blackway, played Lillian, a film that I think might waste more high-end talent than most films I've ever seen in my life. I dug this in a taken way. I don't know, man. It's ob- Anthony Hopkins, Julia Stiles, Ray Liotta, and Alex Ludwig are the main four. I mean, you got Hale Holbrook and Lachlan Monroe making another appearance, but... Ray Liotta plays just a, an awful human. So the exact opposite of Chasing 3000 from that conversation that we had. I enjoyed this in a Winter's Bone equalizer kind of way. But I will admit, Riola looked like shit. Whoever was doing his makeup on that. Yeah, Alex Ludwig's 
like vocal tick bothered the crap out of me. Fiside brother Ludwig over there for James and Anthony Hopkins. I was just like, I don't know why you're in this movie. Like Hopkins, it just just felt like it was not the appropriate cast for him in that kind of role. But that's just me. Gotta get paid, man. Yeah, I guess I dug it. It's an indie film. Maybe maybe not that much. This is one of those movies that has multiple titles. And so you know that it was sold to multiple producers. And, and I'm sure that this thing was just a train wreck. You guys are so cruel. <laughs> and then finally, the, la- the last Jason Bourne film, which Case talked about, this he wished never existed from 2016 and her appearance in that. Last for me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last review. It is Largest Critic Gap, and it's The Drowning. She played Lauren and Cam drew this one. I don't know who hijacked her entire Wikipedia page. All these movies marked as direct-to-video played at festivals. This was not direct-to-video. So, that being said, I enjoyed it in a true crime way, but I didn't remember her in this at all. I remember Josh Charles as a disturbed individual mm-hmm. and John C. McGinley as a lawyer. That being said, not remarkable, but it, was, it felt like more of a TV movie. So, another critic gap. Again, the movies you guys have covered earlier, those would take the cream of the crop as her worst, all the chick flags. <laughs> yeah, the story is Julia Stiles and Josh Charles are like out near a, a body of water and they see a guy basically attempting to commit suicide and drown himself. He saves him and then the kid, he finds out, is very mentally disturbed and basically becomes a really terrible part of their lives going forward all the way to the end of the movie. Julia Stiles was fine. She's super naive about him. Now that I think about it, Josh Charles is the one who's reasonably suspected this kid's motives. And Julia Stiles like, oh, he's just super nice. Yeah. He just keeps coming to hang around with me, right? And just using his leverage against his, her husband. So where do you sit on the, the gap there of 5017? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a like it or hate a movie, but it's definitely not the worst that she's done. <laughs> yeah. I like the pivot that she's starting to make, or that she's made, excuse me. This is true. She's taking, in my opinion, more more complex roles and, and some roles that I think are going to give her some more room to to show off her, her abilities. Because really her like chick flick rom-com era ended in 04 with The Prince and Me. Yep. And then it was yep. just kind of a pivot to the Bourne movies and then more serious roles and horror stuff. Yeah. After that, she did 1155, which I don't remember her in at all. I remember John Leguizamo. I don't either. It was just a noir, and I was, again, on the fence. I was like, it's watchable, but not really standing out. Well, let's round it out. We got a few years um, from 2017 to modern day. So first and foremost, she gets married in 2017 to a camera assistant named Preston Cook. They've since had two kids together, so they seem to be living happily, raising a family and doing all those things. That'll slow down work that you're doing when you're trying to raise little ones, I'm sure. She talked about it on Andy Richter's podcast. <laughs> She's pretty happy. <laughs> okay, good. I'd love to hear that. Riviera, 28 episodes of that, plays Georgina from 2017 to 2020. This is a big show, I feel like, and one of her bigger roles lately. Definitely should be on her top four on IMDb. Yeah, dude, I watched a couple episodes. I was pleasantly surprised. Right? Because you see the poster and you think, oh, it's going to be another Sopranos what you know violent hot crime show <laughs> i thought it was gonna be like maybe a little corny and yeah it's... soap opera and it's not soapy at all no it's not it's like kind of action and betrayal <laughs> yeah it's good <laughs> it was good and she's she is absolutely the star of it no question and i think she does well in it but she talks about it's like it's also is filmed on location so like 
me and my family got to live in the French Riviera <laughs> for a few months. <laughs> and she's like, this is great. Straight off. <laughs> yeah. I'll sign up. I think you'll like how it ends. I had to, I had to cram so much of that shit in, but I think you'll like how it concludes. It's not. Was she in the, all the episodes for the entire series? Yeah, she's the star. It's not it's not an anthology where they trade it off and give it to some other showrunner direct. <laughs> the only reason that they stopped after three seasons was COVID. And they're like, yeah, we couldn't film. We can't go anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, not knowing that we can't travel to like Italy or France or wherever. And so we just had to kind of stop. We can only jump off so many buildings. <laughs> yeah. 2019, she joined J-Lo in Hustlers. She played Elizabeth, the... Uh... The one interviewing the character, basically driving the whole plot through her interview, the whole film. I, I know you guys were crazy about this one. I found this just as unwatchable as Showgirls. Oh, I think I'm the only one who enjoyed it. I like this movie. No, I like Hustlers. Oh, okay. They're both satirical. Cam, we're going to leave Cam on an island on this one where he deserves to be. I know. I know. That's, what it, that's where he deserves to be on this one. Our last guest who we talked about Hustlers with also didn't like it. I forgot who it was. It's somebody else that doesn't like when women have agency. That's what I've gathered. They're just not big fans. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I guess it was a woman who didn't like it. Yeah. It was Laura Benicky. She was like, I don't love it. Yeah, it was Laura. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, I don't like the movie. Yeah. It's a good story, but it's not funny or organized. Well, yeah. It's J-Lo in her bag, Lily Reinhardt just capturing my heart and every time she's on screen. Same. I think one of the reasons I like it is because it is a true story. So where you're like, oh, it's trashy. You're like, yeah, very trashy. They're like, these are these are skis ball and like they're taking advantage of even more sleazy dudes. Like it's just bad people doing bad stuff. I would say the morality of this movie is a little odd. Murky. It's like the takeaway is like, did they do a bad thing? I don't think so. I mean, Julia Stiles says like, I don't think you did anything wrong. It's just, like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I agree. Constance Wu performance worked better for me. This was the second time I had seen it. It worked better for me this second time. I just think it's a, I think it's just a good time. Like I'll give you the ending. The last song at the end was genius. God Committee, 2021, a film I know when we did the Dan Hedaya episode, Case had positive things to say about this film. Just take away from this movie, Coleman Domingo eats. Give that man more roles. He's one of my top five favorite actors today. Everything he does. I love that guy. Zola, he is so fucking good in that movie. He should have won an Oscar. Yes, I agree. It was Riley Keough. Shout out to Riley Keough. That's my girl. The God Committee, I think, is a really interesting premise. It is. Flash forward stuff didn't work for me. Mm. So the real time, them in the room making the decision, I was all in on that. I was eating that up. When they flash forward, I had a hard time with it. I also think everybody that was in that room killed, and Julia Stiles was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Theme. 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 And then a, a few more roles here. So she played Olivia in Dragons, the Nine Realms, 23 episodes of that from 2021 to 2023. I'm going to assume that's a voice role. Somebody tell yep. me if I'm wrong. Okay. Well, she hadn't really done any voice role stuff up until this point. So that's new and different. Uh, and then Orphan First Kill, she played Trisha in 2022, which I had never seen. And man, her character's a real piece of shit in this movie. I enjoyed her in this role. She leans into the role. I just hate her character. Yeah. Like, it's truly terrible. Performances were fine, but I found this just as unwatchable as the first one. Just that torture porn visual style and just not giving a shit what happens. I need just more psychology before I get invested in two hours. The thing I enjoyed about it is I thought the the director used our stereotypical Julia Stiles 
against us. I was expecting her to be this oh nice, kind person, and then and then it flipped. Yeah, I don't like how they made our main character, our orphan, feel weak during the second act. Like she had all the power in the first act and then all of a sudden it flipped it and she felt like super submissive to Julia Stiles. And I was like, why? Just stab her in the throat with a pencil. Like, <laughs> just move on. Uh, how was Isabella Furman in that movie? I like her. I like her quite a bit. And I like the orphan. I just haven't got to this one yet. And so I'm curious to see just like how she did in particular. How tall is she in real life? Not very. I assume she's not as short as it's portrayed in the film, and there were a lot of camera tricks to make her seem shorter than she actually is. Ah, I don't know. I don't know how tall she is, though. Watch The Novice. Isabel Furman's in The Novice. Last time I saw it was on Showtime. That is her number one on IMDb. That's an okay one. I like that movie a lot. I will say Orphan First Kill and The Orphan are loosely based on two true stories. Okay. No, no, no. (laughs) And one of them takes place in Indianapolis. Her name is Natalia Grace. And it was actually where the family thought that she was pretending to be a young girl after they adopted her and that she was actually older. And after uh, abusing her for years, they found out, nope, she was actually the age she she said she was. And the parents just went fucking crazy and made it up in their head that she they adopted a 30-something-year-old woman. You know how you can protect your family? If you think she's posing, give her back to the people you adopted her from instead of abusing this woman for years. Yep. I just don't understand. There's a documentary on HBO, or Max as it's called now, about Natalie Grace, who's the orphan in this, she was like nine years old and they thought she was like 30 and they just dropped her off at West Lafayette where Purdue is and like got her an apartment and we're like, all right, you're going to live here now. And the fucking nine year old just had to figure out how to like live. That's wild. Oh my God. They tried to put him in jail and they couldn't, they, they, they went to court and everything and the state couldn't get these people to go to prison. Well, that would create some good drama, some good fiction for your televisions, I guess. Yeah. And uh, last one, The Lake. She played Maisie May, 16 episodes, 2022 and 2023, her most recent work. Never heard of, but Amazon has a good track record. So, All right, that's going to take us to top performances. Rigby, go ahead and take it. Wait. Oh! Oh, Rigby's not here. Rigby's not here. So I believe Aubrey was trying to dig up something, but I don't think he was able to find anything. Maybe he did, though. It was tough. There's a list that Cinema Blend put out. Okay. March 29th of 2022. It's not numbered, but I'm going to assume that this is ranked because of the way that this played out. There's nine movies on here. There is TV on here also. And when was it written? 2022. Cinema Blend. Riviera. Riviera is on here. That is eight. Are the Bourne movies packaged together? Yep. Good idea. What number is that? It's sixth. Six and eight. Ten things I hate about you. Number one. That's number one. Of course. Makes sense. A lot. This is ten. Oh, is number ten? Oh, it's number one, but there's ten movies. Oh, okay. Devil's Zone. No, I was saying O. Is O on the list? Ophelia. O is not on the list, which renders this list invalid. <laughs> Devil's Zone? Nope. Really interesting. Save the last dance. That is number two. Okay. Classic. Kick me in the balls. <laughs> All right. A guy thing. That is not on here. 
Thank God. Someone had some sanity when Megan was good. Good. Okay. All right. But I bet Prince and me is on there. Prince and me is on here. Dexter. And it is third. Oh, wow. Which may mean that this isn't ranked, but I still feel like it is. Dexter's on here. <laughs> it's in order. Yeah. It sounds like it's in order at the moment. <laughs> Stayed in Maine. Dexter is on here. Stayed in Maine is not. <sighs> Business of strangers. Hustlers could be on there. Hustlers is not. Okay, never mind. Silver Linings. Silver Linings is. Yeah, good. So how many are we missing right now? Like two? I think so. Yeah, I think it's two. Mindy Project. No Mindy Project. TV's, the TV is out. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, there's actually three movies. One of them's a horror movie. One is a movie that I kind of liked. The Omen? We talked about The Omen. The Omen is on here. Okay. Okay. I was going to okay. get that. Omen is fifth. Mona Lisa Smile? Mona Lisa Smile is on here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's fine. It's whatever. At least it wasn't Edmund. So that's good. And we're missing one. Oh uh, yeah, it's the one that it's the one that I got to go watch now. Oh, oh, between us, good. Oh, the made the top ten. I can I can get behind this. All right. I think we can all agree ten things I hate about you is her top role. I mean, definitely the most famous. Anybody gonna say no to that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what would you put as her top, Cam? It definitely stayed in Maine. Just. Everybody in that movie feels like they belong, which says a lot, because when she does her other collabs with David Mamet, everyone just looks very confused, like Mamet is just shouting out orders to them, and they're just responding to his yelling at them. <laughs> right. Deep cut, deep cut role choice. We love it. It's good. Let's get into the Munsometer. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100, based on a variety of factors that could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact acting range, awards footprint, other talents they might have, their personal life, comedic chops, box office success, or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. So we will start this time with James. With Julia Stiles, I think she is probably most well-known for playing the sarcastic, intelligent, kind of strong feminist characters. I think even from a young age, it came through very clearly that you know she isn't afraid to portray strong women and often plays kind of characters that speak their mind and maybe doesn't back down from confrontation, which made her kind of like the face of a generation of teenage movies. And I think that her name recognition is probably outweighs a lot of the other aspects of her career at this point where when you say the name to someone our age, they're like, oh yeah, I know Julia Stiles. I know these handful of movies. And I think that she probably suffers a little bit from being recognized as that teen star now. Because when you look at a lot of the movies since then, a lot of them kind of have a made-for-TV movie feel. I think where her career is going now, I agree with what Case said earlier. I think that is probably the more exciting part, seeing her in more dramatic roles. I actually really enjoyed... The handful of the first season of Riviera that I watched, so I'm actually excited to finish that. But I think if she kind of leans more into the dramatic, whether it be action drama or horror drama, I think she'd do really well in that. But at the moment, I don't think it's exactly where it would need to be for me to give her a higher rating than what I'm going to give her, which is a 60. Case, I think two things about Julia Stiles as we look at her career. I have a feeling that when she was at her prime she missed a window somewhere either by turning a role down or didn't get a role that she needed to really put her over. 
as a result of that, I think we're about to see a massive Julia style resurgence. I would be willing to bet she's got some great projects coming up that are just going to blow people away. But with her consistency and the way that she portrays some of these characters consistently, I think she's best suited to be in series and be in multiple episodes of things rather than a one-off because I think their writers can have a little bit more impact in, in giving her character more depth. I'm excited that I got to watch Riviera and and I'm with James and I'm excited to finish that now, but overall I think the best is still coming from her. At least I hope it is. I mentioned it earlier. Name recognition is through the roof. I mean, if you tell anybody you're talking about Julia Stiles, they know exactly who you're talking about, and they got a couple of movies in mind, and that's pretty important. But overall, I'm going to give her a 73. Nice. All right. Cam, our guest Munson. Again, you guys are on the money. We knew as soon as we started this, she was going to be a loser in terms of box office and just being the top 10, 20 actors of her generation. But... The TV role really helped. The stage work really helped. A lot of her roles are pretty much just basically live theater plays with acclaimed directors. Uh, I had fun going through some of the other independent work and underseen movies. And she also seems like a very reasonable person. She hasn't killed anyone that I know of or been mean, so that works. Uh, altogether, for all of these roles, for the most part, she wasn't the weak part of any of them. She, in some cases, was only as good as the movie. But I think she, I'm going to give her a healthy 70. She's a Hillary Swank type. She's not a giant A-lister who you put in every single you know, Oscar bait movie or superhero movie. She's just someone who you come and basically, if you want to do an activist drama or a historical thriller, that, that's who you could pick. We're giving points if they didn't murder somebody. So everybody but Matthew Broderick gets points. You know what I mean? Uh, you guys have done it before with William Hurst. <laughs> I, I doubt Matthew Broderick's the only person we've covered who's murdered someone. There's got to be somebody else on the list. Yeah, but Spacey probably killed someone. <laughs> yeah. Give Spacey's skeletons time. It's true. Yeah, I mean, coming off Seymour Cassell, I really enjoyed that that exploration and deep dive. And I just it didn't enjoy this as nearly as much. And I'm sad about that. I got, I'll say this. I'll start with the positives. I, you got to respect her rom-com excellence there in the, in the 2000s. I mean, she was the it thing there between 99 and 2004. I mean, she was crushing it. I didn't see a ton of range or charisma. And every time I saw her try to do something a little bit different, she was a side character most of the time. I'll, I'll be honest. I haven't seen Riviera, so that probably colors my scoring a little bit. It sounds like she was pretty awesome in that film or in that show. Most of the films I watched were aggressively mid at best and it kind of sucked my soul away. I like to watch new things I haven't seen with the actress we cover, and I had seen a lot of her popular stuff, so I tried to dig into some of the other pieces and felt more like a chore than something enjoyable to do, unfortunately. And nothing about her personal life jumped off the page of me either in terms of like philanthropic work or like incredible things. And not that she has a bunch of drama, but I try to give extra points if they're doing really cool work. She directed some things, so I give her some points there, and I give her some extra points for being a baseball Mets fan and also for, you know, being a, f- a fan of public transit. But now I'm just getting chintzy with points. So <laughs> Pop culture, she gets a high score, but like Project Choice Awards, I mean, one Emmy nom, she's going to get hit hard there. Comedy, I don't think she's terribly funny. So she's going to get a, a 58 for me. Not not the best score in the world. Not the worst. But they're worse. Yes. Yeah, so 
Aubrey, round us out, baby. I'm kind of along the lines of you, Kyle, with this one. I try to to keep my score with what I see like on screen with what I see that they're doing and the the performances that they have. Kind of sometimes even despite in spite of their choices. Julia Styles, there's this uh, the fact that she was this massive star for a stretch of time is baffling to me because you would chalk it up normally to like this charisma it factor thing. She's doing something that like drawing all this attention, but when you watch those movies it's hard to to kind of explain and quantify but it also happened so she gets credit for that like you can't take that away from her she was a part of those things those things were massive they were a big deal i don't have a tactful way of saying this i just don't think she's all that good Hmm. i wish i would have watched riviera or some of the other things that you guys mentioned i find her to be a bit one note she doesn't make a ton of the things i saw worse she doesn't make any of them better. Wouldn't say any movie that I saw was better because she was in it. I think she just came, she showed up, she did the work. It was, I would label her as professional. I don't mean that as a negative. Like she comes in and does the job and gets the job done. And that's what it is. I think, Oh, could have been a better movie if there was a better person in her role. It's not a bad movie, even though she was in it. So that's kind of my struggle with her. I am interested in her just because like she is, like a pop culture touch point for me for some reason. I'll never forget who Julia Stiles is. <laughs> like I'll always know who she is and I'll always pinpoint exactly what I thought about her at the time that I, I, I like was introduced to her. I can't say that about a ton of actors. So while like, I don't think her work is great. I'm with Kyle. This wasn't the best watch I've ever been through. Can't take away from those things, but I've got her around where Kyle's at. I've got her at 58. Oh, twins. <laughs> Love it. With that, that gives Julia Stiles a 63.8, which puts her in 68th place, sandwiched between Dakota Fanning and Chloe Grace Moretz. Mm. I will say it's impressive to see Case's predictive nature of where we end up when it comes to scores at the end of the podcast. Yeah. You said, what, 74 out of 88 to start? Something like that, yeah. Pretty close. 44th, yeah. Pretty close. Yeah. A lot of times I find on lines that every once in a while, like Seymour Cassell was nowhere even close to what his box office, because his box office almost dead last, and we scored him pretty well, all things considered, at 60th. Right. Another guy does indie movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. character but actors are hard to do. This is hard, but we loved him because of a lot of those intangibles he brought to the table, and we fell in love with a couple of his films. Okay. Aubrey, what has she got coming in terms of future projects? Interesting is a bit of a weird word to use because it means so many different things. But this is interesting and like very curious. It's a movie called Chosen Family. Stars Heather Graham and Julia Stiles pretty much. Seems like it's going to be a movie about like a midlife crisis type situation or a woman going through some sort of crisis that she has to get through. But it's written and directed by Heather Graham. Interesting. Yeah. It can't be anywhere near as bad as Heather Graham's last decade of projects. <laughs> Careful. Kind of here for this one? It's a yoga movie, so you guys know I'm in. That is, that is right up Case's alley. Speaks to my hobbies, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Premise is a movie that is up my alley. Not that, like, a yoga movie is up my alley, but the the way that the story is late, or the way that it's positioned, mm-hmm. someone going through something, inter- like, internally... I don't know what role Julia Stiles plays in that, but I have to say I am just, I'm like intellectually curious out of what a 
written, directed, and starred Heather Graham movie is. I don't mean that as a negative. I'm like, I'm, I am intellectually curious about this. Yeah. I want to see how this plays out. When I went with Kyle to see the most recent Creed movie and I found out it was uh, directed by Michael B. Jordan, I was like, it, I mean, it could be terrible or it could be, you know, fine. I'm intrigued though, because I want to see mm-hmm. what his vision of this is. And right. I agree with you. When, when you hear it, someone's like, Kind of passion project. It, it does spark my interest a little bit. You're in suspense. You don't know if they're going to put their ego to the side and be organized, or if it's going to be fun, but still, or if it's going to be like a dumpster fire. Right? It could right. be all all the above. This close to a Tommy Wiseau, if she produced it, then she would be writing, <laughs> directing, starring, and doing the whole shebang. <laughs> oh my god! So very close. Your owner, MC, and star power forward. <laughs> <laughs> do see that julia styles has another project that's been optioned which we might get to which is wish you were here where she is listed as the director and the writer oh maybe we will get the triple threat out of this one with the writer producer director is it inspired by the incubus song of the same name beautiful song it's a great song I do not believe so. Damn it! Unless that song has a uh, whirlwind romance with a man who gets sick and she spends the rest of his days with him. I don't think so. We've got five actors we're throwing under the wheel for our next episode, which is episode 89. And we that's going to drop September 14th. And we have our first new guest from a long time. His, it's Jim from the Film Rage podcast. Yes! Jim's been a big supporter, and we're going to give him a shot see how it goes. You're lovely. The wheel selected one of these five, and Jim decided to join us for the for this actor. So we've got Michael Kenneth Williams, rest in peace. Yes. Owen Wilson, Rob Corddry, Josh Brolin, or Kate Winslet. What do we like or dislike from that lies? Omar. Only two answers here, and it's Michael K. Williams or Kate Winslet. But it's really Michael K. Williams. Yeah. Dude, I didn't realize who Michael K. Williams was, but yep, I like. Dude, this list is great. Right? It's a very good list, top to bottom. Yeah. Winslet would also be interesting because it'd be the same kind of deal as you've got done with some of the other English actors where you're like, hey, not my cup of tea, but can't mistake good acting, good premise. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. Kenneth Williams, you'll have more diversity. And then the rest of the comedians. Right. Matter of preference. So <laughs> Rob Corger, we laugh our dicks off. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't I can't wait to rewatch Harold and Kumar. It's going to be so good. I think he'll rank like Craig Robinson. <laughs> we're great in every movie. But if he. Yeah, the movies to be featuring. <laughs> Hot tub time machine, you know. <laughs> I mean, I just want to hear Rigby saying, wow, wow, <laughs> wow. Omar, 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 Omar. <laughs> and Brolin's the dude. Brolin's the guy. Like, Brolin would be fun, too. Yep. Sicario. Sicario. You'll have a lot of movies where he'll be great in that are shit, and then you'll have a lot of ones where you're like, oh, he owned that role. He was so intense. <laughs> he made his dad proud. <laughs> yeah. Rigby would not necessarily love the Brolin episode because we talk about Marvel stuff a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, we could also do No Country for Old Men, you know? Oh, man. Right. That's true. He would get best of all worlds. Here's the question then. Who do we think Jim would pick? We don't know Jim from Film Rage. Mm-mm. So based on our very limited information of the Film Rage podcast. Based on his name and the name of his podcast. I know I know the guys. I'm in the bang. First episode, Kate Winslet. Yes, that, they're definitely going to go for Winslet. One of the, and and it, they, they like to go for a lot of the Oscar people because then they get to decide. Okay. Cam, if you had to pick a second one in two episodes in a row, would you pick? 
I was on the fence on whether I went with Kenneth. Okay, yeah. Uh, Kenneth and then Winslet. So, yeah. All right, so Aubrey's picks. Yeah, those are good choices. Those are the right answers. Well, you know what? The right answers don't come from Aubrey. They don't come from Cam. The right answers don't come from Jim of Film Rage. The right answers come from the wheel, and the wheel decides. Damn wheel. And we'll see what happens. Fucking Omar decides. That's a fact. (laughs) Yes, Case. (laughs) All right, uh, Cam. You're always a blast, man. You always come fully prepared. We always appreciate you having here, man. Absolutely. Yeah, dude. This is your chance for plugs, wise words from audience, red carpet for you. Still doing actor specials, still doing franchise specials. We decided to try out a few other things. Talk about, most people will talk about movies that are based on comics. We decided to do a shuffle. Let's talk about some great movies and shows that later became comics and books, continued the mythology. Very cool. And showed that story was still there. It wasn't just a visual method. It wasn't just the cast, crew, effects that made that the iconic pop culture icon. Shoutouts to other great podcasts we've done collabs with, including this one, Cinema PsyOps, Composers, the Movie Score podcast, Who Would Win, and the Almost Presidents podcast. Something for everybody. Check them out. They're working their asses off here on Twitter and the Instas. It's called X. Sir, um, I don't know if you knew. Oh, yeah, 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 that, that's right. Yeah, uh, let, let's Brand- just call it Elon's dumpster fire. Um, yeah, branding's important. There you go, important. Yep. Cam, your involvement in podcast world is, is always impressive to me, man. Yeah. I'm more impressed by you guys. You guys are teaching America some fucking common sense. Put that on our fucking X bio. Put that Let on your LinkedIn. <laughs> I've never gotten that compliment before in my life. Yeah, me neither. Teaching America common sense. On the door to my classroom. Well, <laughs> pat yourself on the back. With all the defunding, I applaud anyone for sticking with it and making education be fun. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. We appreciate that. Appreciate that. Feel seen over here. It's the important part. We're always glad to have you. We'll be looking forward to having you back in the future, man, for another one. That's right. All right. Thanks, Cam. As we wrap up, you can find us on Twitter. Well, you can find us on X, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Julia Stiles? I guess in this society, being male and an asshole makes you worthy of our time. Anything else? Munson's out. Let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? This is Seth from Videorama. The following DVDs are now overdue. Drunken Hussies 3, Backdoor Patrol 5, and Mona Lisa Smile. Thank you.